Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, Harold from CMOS was here and we talked about the new world of finding talent, what they're doing to help companies find talent in new, unique and creative ways like a drive through. Anyways, if you missed it, you're going to want to go and check that out. It was last week's episode with Harold from CMOS. We hope you enjoy it. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. What is quality assurance? SQA believes that quality is getting what you paid for. Quality is spectacular, iconic, heroic, patient safety, safe flights, and astronauts to space. Quality is worldwide. SQA has a global footprint that supports complex and highly regulated supply chains. The partnerships SQA has created over 25 years have benefited through integrated strategies where SQA is able to support clients on an annual basis. Each year, SQA works with its client partners and their suppliers in over 70 countries, deploying a robust network of over a thousand associates. SQA understands the complexity and challenges within a global supply chain, and our clients have seen that the results from SQA exceed their internal efficiencies. Annually, SQA performs 3,000 audits, 150,000 hours of component inspections, and 35,000 hours of engineering supplier development. Quality is what you put into it and how great you want it to be. For over 25 years, SQA has been a leader in assessing, monitoring, and improving supply chain performance. Quality is SQA, so come and join us. You can visit us at sqaservices.com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Last week, we had some incredible live shows. If you missed it, go and check out our Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page so that you can catch up on all the fun. We were talking about NextGen with Blue Jay Solutions and we celebrated Women's Entrepreneurship Day with EDC. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a man who's a supply chain enthusiast, businessman, social entrepreneur retired U.S. Army officer, and global thought leader all rolled into one. From Jordan to Japan, Africa to Afghanistan, our guest today has gathered his impressive knowledge and expertise from around the world. Can you guess who it is? I'll let you know if you were right after our question of the week. So the question of the week, with under two months of 2020 left, what are your last minute goals? We had a bunch of people weigh in here. Larry Lung says, thinking through this question, I don't have any last minute goals. Just keep going with what's on my plate to be a better husband, father, friend, coworker, colleague, stranger, and individual. Madison, if I were living in the South, this wouldn't be a thing, but I'm thinking I've got to drop a cool 20 pounds to neutralize all the layers I'll have to wear to survive Boston's winter. 
Sarah Scudder, professional, close four new clients, read two books, and launch our virtual print and spend optimization series, personal, cook more vegan food, and do more acts of kindness. Love it. Thanks to everybody who weighed in on our question of the week. We ask that question every single Wednesday morning on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Now back to today's podcast, and the man I have with me today is Adebayo Adelecki. With 20 years in the Army behind him, you'd forgive Adebayo for being ready for a break, but he's anything but now a managing director at Pantote Solutions LLC, president and CEO of Adebayo Adelecki LLC, a principal partner and senior supply chain consultant for Epot. Consulting Limited and a lecturer in supply chain management at the Sam Houston State University. His incredible energy, passion, and commitment is evident. Today, Adebayo will be talking to us about his career so far, his many inspirational achievements, and his passion for driving immigration reform. So here's just a little bit more about him before we dive into his journey. Adebayo is a dynamic leader with global insights on a wide variety of issues. His profound knowledge and expertise in the fields of emerging markets, risk management, and security supply chain management and logistics, leadership and geopolitics, politics, diversity and inclusion makes him a positive influencer and generator of authentic ideas and novel scenarios that birth winning experiences for individuals, organizations, and governments. As a seasoned combat veteran of the United States Army with 20 years of service, Adebayo is a consummate professional who exemplifies the spirit of immigrants in America. He has graced several global platforms, including the United Nations and Facebook, speaking on issues centered around diversity and inclusion, strategy, leadership, and risk management. So welcome to the show, Adebayo. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, you know what? I would say, Mama, I made it. I made it to Sarah's podcast. That's when <laughs> we made it. I love that. I am super excited to talk to you. I mean, I was uh, a couple of months ago, I was on your show and we had a great, great discussion. And so I'm really excited to get back in the seat with you, talk a little bit about your journey in supply chain. I mean, we talk to women all the time about their journey in supply chain in our Woman in Supply Chain series. But it's very rare that I get to sit down with somebody like you that has such a breadth of knowledge and so many things to share. I mean, even just your LinkedIn profile is a feast of talking points. So I think we've got a lot to get to today. So let's just get started. Why don't we start at the beginning? Can you give us a bit of background? Where did it all start and how did you get into supply chain? Thanks, uh, Sarah, for that uh, glorious introduction. I'm blushing over here. Uh, I I got into supply chain weirdly because uh, I joined the military in 1998. you know, I just joined the military to actually, uh, you know, spend four years over there to pay for my college. And then when I got in there, of course, before you get in the military, you have to be tested to look at your, um, for them to check out your aptitude, to look at what you're pretty good at. So, and I tested for, and one of the jobs that kind of fall within the range, uh, the spectrum of, of, so to say, is a automated logistical specialist. I've never heard that before. I've never heard the word logistical specialist. Granted, I was 17 or 18 years old then. So I'm like, you know what? If that's what they want to give me, because I wasn't really 
paying attention to it, knowing fully fact that after four years, I'm going to get out and I will pursue my dream of becoming a medical doctor. I think that's, you know, if you, if you ever grew up in a, an African household, you either you become a lawyer, an engineer, a medical doctor, anything else is immaterial. So I fall in within that uh, kind of framework and upbringing. So four years I got in as an automatological specialist and uh, that's what got introduced to parts, inventory, repairs, warehousing, and, uh, you know, forklift driving, all kind of stuff. The the so-called when the rubber meets the road in supply chain and logistics. So I started doing it. And after four years, uh, I got some provisional admission, some uh, top-tier school. And instead of me going, I said, you know what, uh, let me give it another shot. And then I and I re-enlisted, and that's all she wrote from there. I fell in love with the community, the idea of being an American soldier, and also doing the work of supply chain. And the further I went, you know, the higher up I, I got, then I began began to see things differently, supply chain, a different spectrum, you know, different ways, different doors began to open in different arenas, working in different corridors of power and understanding supply chain and how supply chain plays a pivotal role in a lot of operations, especially military operations around the world. So I consider myself lucky to have been to have been part of the because I could have changed to something like Intel or IT or some kind of stuff in the military, but uh, this particular, you know, I just like, you know what, whatever they give me, I'll take it. And then the more I understood the role, the more I understood the environment, the more I, I, f- I fell in love with it. That's how my passion for supply chain began. I love that. I mean, you talk to a lot of people, especially, well, maybe not these days, but before, you know, everybody kind of fell into supply chain. And it sounds like it was your path, but you didn't even know it. Yep. I did not know it. And they told me, like, automated logistical specialist. I said, what is that? What do they yeah. do? And I was like, you guys, you're a part. You're going to work as a part clerk and work as a maintenance clerk in the warehouse for stocking, receiving. I was like, okay, sure, why not? And then the more the more you do it, the more you understand the impact of it, the more you understand all the linkages to it, the more you realize that, wow, this is pretty cool. And the more uh, you realize that, wow, this is actually profitable outside the military. Well, wow, I'm not so bad, you know, after all. You fall into it, it becomes a passion, and you end up being a lifer. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that in 1998, you joined the Army. What was it that drew you to the Army over, you know, like you were saying, a nice, safe corporate corporate job or even a nice, safe corporate logistics job? I guess at that time, you didn't even know logistics was even an option. Actually, I didn't even know the word logistics then, but let's be real. You know, uh, I didn't know the word logistics actually existed until then. I was watching the Mets on the Yankees game when the when the advert came on, on TV, be all you can be in the Army. I thought, like, okay, let me explore this because I really wanted to go to college. It was quite expensive, so the Army gave me an option of go to college and then after four years, we'll pay for your college. I mean, go to join the army, and after four years, you know, pay for your college. It's like, wow, that sounds interesting. And everybody bought off on it. My family, you know, I came from a commun- communal kind of uh, upbringing, so everybody's like, okay. If you're gonna, after four years, we're gonna go in and come out. We support it. So I went in there, and after four years, I didn't up- held my hand of the bargain because I continued. It was like everyone was sad. It was like, what happened? As I fell in love with it, you know, and uh, that's how I, I joined the army, and that's how the whole supply chain then started. 
That's awesome. So in some of my research, I found out that you served a number of years in the U.S. and then in Japan before serving a year in Kandahar province in Afghanistan. And at that time, it, it looks like it was 2007. And that was very much the heart of the war. Mm -hmm. So did you choose that post or were you deployed there? And what was that experience like? So uh, I, di I didn't choose that post. I was deployed there as part of a unit. And actually, I was part of the Special Operations Command. So they, their, their area of operation is Kandahar province uh, and also the Helmet province. So uh, apart from Kandahar, the Helmet province, which is pretty much at that particular point in time, like you rightfully said, is the, is the heart of the old war on global war on terror, especially as southern Afghanistan is concerned. So the experience was very interesting, let me say. You know, we've been talking about wars and wars and rumors of war, you know, but this is the this that experience was the first time I realized that you can actually get killed in combat. You know, you've always seen the video, you've trained for it, but this is the first time you're like, wow, I might die, you know? <laughs> I might right. do, this is no more training or some some games. This is a real deal. And we got yeah. shot at a few times. Uh, we've had some near misses experience as well, which gives you uh, at a particular point that gave me all clarity of war and my role as a supply chain uh, uh, a supply chain person in the, in, the, in that part of the war. So for me, it was quite it was quite an eye opener, and also the training that I got, you know prior to me deploying, actually came into action. So I was a forward logistical element. A forward logistical element is a slice of, uh, is a slice package, as we call it, which kind of, you know, we have realms, a spectrum of work. We call, we term supply chain or logistics in the army, which involves maintenance, which involves cooks, which, in, I mean, involves mechanics, repairers, radio repairers, weapon repairers, riggers, people that rig parachutes. So all the support elements that, we consider logistical support element. We have a slice of it, about 30 or 40 man team. Uh, so I was the one in charge of them. So we are told to argument this unit uh, out of uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, deploying to Kandahar province, Afghanistan. So we argue, argument them. So they already have their own element as well. So we argumented them and then we became about 100 plus units. So, and those folks, because they have a decentralized operation, they were spread all over the, all over the, both the Western part of Afghanistan, the Southern part of Afghanistan. So they have different units all around the place. So what we had to do is to come up with what their needs are and give them a small, small, smaller packages to argument their logical support in those areas. So I sat in the, I sat in the, in the headquarters kind of monitoring uh, all the supplies, all the levels of supplies at any given point, the several levels of supply must not fall below certain levels. And you have to also understand the environmental factors that prevent you from resupplying. So there was right. a kind of a juggernaut. And in the midst of it, you have to take care of your soldiers. You have to, uh, have to go and visit those locations to see what, what is really going on over there? Because oftentimes you have some issues with certain locations, inability to get supplies. So you have to go there yourself and figure it out. So that particular experience was quite high opening. It's kind of the, it's kind of the rite of passage for me of becoming, I can say, a real soldier because it birthed me into understanding what supply chain does. There's one thing doing supply chain in peacetime. There's one thing doing it in the wartime. And that particular experience was very provocative for me. I believe that's where I earned my badge. Uh, of a supply chain expert. That's where I really heard it because it was was quite uh, 
was quite interesting because uh, we were working at the beginning of the experience, we were working between 18 to 20 hours a day, just getting entrenched, wow. understanding the, the topography, understanding the, uh, the, just the nature of the beast out there, as we call it, the nature of the beast. So it was, it was a great experience for me. After nine months, uh, about a year or so, we came back and it was a diff- I was transformed. The way I see supply chain differs. You know, I began to see things in a different perspective. I began to see how things are, are linked up together. I began to tie up the issue of geopolitics into supply chain. And that's, I began to see things like, you know, if you ask uh, Michael Jordan or boxers how they view things or Pele, you know, they keep telling you that there's, it comes a time in their career, they s- they'll start seeing things differently. They'll start seeing right. the play before they actually happens. And that's what that particular experience for me in Kandahar did for me. I began to supply chain at the different levels. I tied things together. Things that not normally in, in normal realm, people don't see that it actually works. Start begin to tie things together. How having a dinner with a contractor over here kind of impact, you know, hopefully not my supply route. It's a very interesting concept. You know, having to sit down and dialogue, you know, chit-chatting, just drinking chai, how that particular event can actually open so many doors. You know, I'm beginning to realize the soft part of supply chain that most people don't actually uh, kind of look onto. So those are the experiences that I and I had. Of course, we're getting shot, and of course, being a soldier is also part of the deal. But it opened my eyes in a way that I've never seen before. And I think it opened my eyes, and since then, my eyes has never closed. Amazing. And I want to talk about those differences in just a minute. But before we do that, you know, obviously it didn't scare you off that experience. What was it that kept you in the army for 20 years? I mean, such an incredible achievement. And I should note this for the audience that in late 2021, Adebayo is going to come back and be part of our veteran episode on Blended, which is exciting because we're going to learn a lot. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot more about that. But we always say that no day is the same in supply chain. And that must be twice as true for supply chain in the army, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Today, I'm watching a chat of, because there's a certain things, it's really in the area in which I, I, I was in charge of. We call it the shoot, move, and communicate. That's what the commanders actually look for. My ability to shoot, my ability to move, and my ability to communicate. And I have uh, my job back then, is very integral to all those three roles. So can I shoot? Do I have enough weapons? Am I weapon serviceable? Do I have enough ammunition to get over there? Can I move? Am I web am I am my trucks? Are they serviceable? Can they move? Are they deadline? Why are they deadline? When is it gonna be up? And then can I communicate? Are my radios up? You know, all those kind of things. So those things are the three platform uh, a combat commander has to be aware of on a daily on a daily basis. Apart from that, then I have to look about classes of supply, as we call it in the military. You know, the food, you know, is the food green, red, or amber? You know, we have all these color codes, you know. So one of the strangest things that can happen is today they're reporting that the food is green. They have food or the fuel. Their fuel is green. Or uh, water, water is green. All of a sudden, within the next 24 hours, is black. How could that happen? How could you guys have sucked up 30 days of supply within 24 hours? Those are the things that kind of baffles you. Like, how did this happen? Did you guys record, gave me a wrong recordings? You know, you call your guys over there. Like, how did you guys just squander 30 days of supply? Obviously, you know, a lot of things. Those are the things you have to, like, wrap. Like, how did this happen overnight? And, you know, when they tell you that fuel is is black, that means they only have less than one day of supply. And in the middle of a mountain, whereby you carry supply them, it becomes an issue 
is a logistical issue, but in the 24 hours, if that's not resolved, it becomes a maneuver issue because by then, the foot soldiers will not be able to go out to do their job. And that in itself is a mission stopper. And nobody right. wants that. So you see how those kind of all those kind of roles kind of commingling or intermingle rather, you know, how one will lead to the other. So those are the things I kind of learned. So imagine you wake up one day, you see all your, all your, you know, all your stat, all your dashboard, green, green, green. All of a sudden, okay, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, you went downstairs to eat lunch and then you come back like, wow, one is red, one is black. How? You know? <laughs> I think you just described a supply chain professionals like a day in a life of. Exactly. Like, how did this happen? I thought you, you called them like, what's going on? I was like, hey, this is what we thought so too. Of course, they might be one of a sudden they might be doing some might be doing some inventory. They realize that all the food they've been reporting for the last thirty days that is green is all expired, and that is another issue. You know, the fuel that it thought was up only was full of hair. How are you measuring it? You know, and that becomes an issue. So you have to spin up emergency supply. I mean, imagine you have to wow. get an aircraft to resupply them. That aircraft you pulling that aircraft from the fight to be able to do resupply operation. And somebody has to back it up. Reason why you need an immediate resupply when the soldiers are not being shot at. You know, so all these things kind of make you, I mean, by the time you come back, you're all gray, I have gray hair and all. Because it's just it's very, very stressful. It's very, very stressful yeah. because people's life depends on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that kind of resonates right now as well because of everything that we're going through the with the pandemic. I mean, logistics is such a big part of testing, yes. supplies, vaccines, mm -hmm. which means, you know, people's lives and things like that. So we can definitely all kind of resonate with that. But I want to talk about the differences. So one of the stories that you talked about, uh, about your time in Kandahar is that you saw all of the, the, the pieces. You saw all the pieces of the puzzle. You saw what it affected, how it affected. And I think that that's something that we're starting to talk more and more about in supply chain is how much the supply chain department or the logistics department affects every moving piece of a business. And I think, you know, the example that you gave is so true. And it's, it's something that we need to consider as supply chain professionals or even business professionals, you know, the C-suite of a, of a, of a business taking to account how important the supply chain and the logistics teams are to what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So what are the differences in how supply chain looks inside an army environment and out of it? Um, you've experienced both. And I, I mean, it must be a very different picture. What can we as, as civvy supply chain professionals learn from that? So there, there are some clear difference between how both supply chains are, are ran. Uh, supply chain in the military uh, is more or less they consider the logistics. Hardly will you find the word supply chain used in the U.S. Army, they, but they they use the word logistics. So okay. in the civilian world, it is supply chain as we call it, but in the military, is logistics. But it's all the same. Uh, it's just the fact of the matter is the logistics was the premier department then before it became, you know, the fancy word supply chain came about. Secondly, in the military, it is an effective, supply chain is more or less of an if effective means, whereas in, this, in the civilian world is its efficiency. You know, it's more efficient. You, you, you run supply chain to be efficient. You, you're using efficiency in running your supply chain, rather, in the civilian world, whereby in the military, it's got to be effective. Because oftentimes, if you look at, supply chain from an efficient standpoint, it will not make sense. 
because we tell people like you know I want to you know we have to conserve dollars. People like why do I care about U.S. dollars? I'm talking about my life at stake. We're talking about U.S. dollars. You know, whereas in the in the commercial world or civilian world, as we call it, you have to be very careful about, you know, it's all about profit and loss, you know? So you have to be efficient in the way you actually allocate your dollars for for a lot of things. So, and it, there's a clear difference. So for some of us, if you're not careful, you can squander a lot of resources in the military to achieve an end state. In the civilian world, you don't have that kind of, you don't have kind of latitude to do that, you know? So, you know, we have government disposers. We have a lot of things at, at, at our disposal to get the job done. It's about getting the job done. But over here, you can get the job done, but at what expense, you know? So there's, those are the two clarity. And most importantly, and I think the, 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 the most important thing for me is that one drive towards profit and loss and one drive towards preservation of life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, should we be thinking about them somewhat similarly? And I, and I, the only reason why I say that is because you're talking about loss of life, mm -hmm. but and how you define that, you mm -hmm. know, whether that's through death or whether that's through losing your livelihood, you know. And if supply chains aren't effective in most businesses, you are going to have loss, and you're going to potentially have to lay people off. So, are they really that dissimilar? Yeah, in, in some aspect they are. Actually, in, in some aspect they are. Because like I, said, like I said earlier, the military supply chain is effective. It's an e effective supply chain. It gets the job done. Like, look, let's get this job done, regardless whatever it takes to get the job done. But yeah. in the civilian world, you get the job done, but at what expense? Because we're like, whoa, you get this done with this amount of dollars? People get fired. You know, right. what I did in the army, I cannot bring it out there and start doing it in the civilian world because it just doesn't make right. sense, you know, because you can't use, you can't use this amount of bomb to kill this so many people. And then you can, you know, like, no, it has to be appropriate. But I think right. you should actually view it in with this, the same sense of urgency, uh, how we use it to kind of determine our, you know, KPIs in the military, I think we should kind of transfer the same thing to the civilian world as well. If life, yeah. do it as your life depends on it. I think that's a common saying. Get it done as well, your life depends on it. And I think if we view supply chain like that in the civilian world, like, look, this is this is the end state. And, we, you know, be putting dollars and cents in mind as well. I think we can achieve the same end goal. Yeah. And, you know, I like the way you put that. And that's one of the reasons why I asked that question, because while you were talking about it, I was seeing some, you know, potential some similarities and, you know, just wanted to just touch on that and sort of see how we can bring some of that into what we're doing in the civilian world as well. So at the top of the show, you talked about immigration. Yes. And it's obviously a huge part of who you are and what you stand for. What are some of the obstacles and challenges you've faced as an immigrant yourself over the course of your life and your career? Uh, you know, being, you know, being raised in Africa, uh, you know, coming over and migrating to the U.S. for me was quite challenging because I joined the army immediately. I came to the U.S. So I did not I did not understand the American system first. So I mm. joined the American Army. It's completely two different things. You can't have one without the other. So for me, it was a it was a lot of learning. I have to learn about American culture, then I have to learn about military culture. Uh, you know, the military is like a whole nation in itself. You know, it's like having a country. And it's like pretty much the military, the U.S. military, can operate 
by itself, you know. Uh, so for me, learning that it was quite challenging. I have to learn about American culture, American, American uh, pop culture. I have to learn about it because all these things are all intertwined. You can't have one without the other. For some reason, I mean, the first few months I first joined the army, I mean, they were saying some acronyms, some words. I have no idea what they're talking about, you know. I've, and luckily for me, I had a friend that has been here that we came through uh, the. We came from New York together because we were residing in New York then. So we came with New York together. So he was being my my helper. So it was everything they said. He always explained it to me. You know, uh, and I was like, wow, that's quite interesting because I had to reconcile where I'm coming from, my value system, and that of my value system as an American. And then my value system as an American soldier as well. So it was a lot of, at least for the first five years, it was a lot of confusion and clarity going on in my mind. Like, what is this? Why are they doing this? You know, I had to ask. And for some in my... For some, it might look dumb for me. I mean, I know a lot of people have looked at me like I'm, I've lost my mind. But for me, I just don't understand. You know, so initially, at least the first five years, it was a lot of learning and unlearning that has to happen for me uh, because I came from one extreme end to the other. You know, uh, so that for me was quite challenging. I spoke from a racial perspective. But as I go along, having an accent, uh, having a different you know, outlook on, you know, value system, how you were raised in a certain value system. Coming over here, you have to be, uh, you know, I was raised in a very conservative value system. When you come over here, it's kind of all mixed up. You're trying to have some clarity of mind. And if you, if you say things differently or if you act differently, people look at you differently, you know. So you have to be, certain things have to be measured, you know, in a way that you have to pass your point across without also sounding otherwise so it's a right. very is a you know and, and and i don't know if because i've always discussed with some of us that have uh that have uh, you know that have migrated and joined the military as a whole you know because it's it's quite a, an uphill battle because you have you're expected to perform at a very high level at the same time there are all these nuances that surround it you know you, you, your identity is driven from your culture and oftentimes you have to shed some of those to be able to part to be part of this uh so-called uh, system so all these mm-hmm. things were just kind of a continuous fight within me and when i became an officer it's even more more, and I cannot put it, even more more pronounced because now I'm leading soldiers. I cannot let my value system be adulterated in such a way that I lose my mind without, you know, finding who I am as a person. So I have to listen right. whatever I know to be of myself and kind of embrace this and make sure that everybody is treated, is treated equally and fairly. So it was a, <laughs> it was a very interesting uh, experience for me. I, as well on the immigration side, you know, a lot of things that people say, uh, you know, microaggression and whatnot, you know, I, I had to stay focused because I know myself, I can easily get distracted. And if some of those things, some of those nuances or innuendos that people make can easily can get you off your game. But for me, I know exactly where I'm going. I know that if I get distracted, I'm not going to get there easily. So I have to stay focused on that. So some of these other stuff that comes around racism and not, they do, of course, they are absolutely there, but you don't see it because there's a saying where I come from that if you keep looking for it, you're going to find it, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, I just stay focused on the goal. I mean, you kind of you kind of look, but not react, keep going. And then until you achieve your goal, so they are, you know, they are, they, at the same time too as well. These things are very, very, very uh, interesting because I came from a culture whereby we are open. I grew up among open, uh, in an open society, you know, whereby I competed with with, uh, with girls growing up, 
Uh, so this idea of inequality between men and women, it was kind of a strange concept for me, you know, because growing up, we're just never raised that way. You know, this idea of not liking one person because of race and background is a foreign concept to me. I always hear it that it happens like why, you know, it just never occurred because we were raised in a very open system whereby you, you people from different ethnic groups are around you. So you really and I grew up in a. I grew up in Nigeria, where you have multiple, multiple ethnic groups. So it was never, at least from my, from my upbringing, it was never an issue. So when you get here, when you see people acting differently because of, you know, people raising, like, it doesn't even make sense for me. I just, for me, it just doesn't even make sense, you know. But yeah. over time, I realized that this is actually what happens in our in our community in our environment. So it's a lot of unlearning and learning myself. And that has been actually, I'm still doing that on a daily, day to day basis because you find certain things that are just not cool with what you believe in, but you realize that this is what actually is the reality on ground. Well, yeah. And I think one of the things that I heard there too was not being afraid to ask questions. Oh, yes. And I think, you know, that's, that's a huge part of the journey or anybody's journey, whether you're an immigrant or not, you know, to really not be afraid to ask those questions and to learn from the answers that, that you're receiving. So in your own experiences that have driven you to be so active as an influencer for, uh, positive change. Do you think that, you know, some of the things that you've been through as like an immigrant and then through the army and now as a veteran, are they, they driving you to be such an active influencer? Because you are, I mean, you're very active, you're very out there, you're, you're talking about supply chain, you're doing your own things. So talk a little bit about that. So I believe it's all, it's all encompassing in a way that, you know, those experiences has kind of made me who I am today. So, and I, I believe I owe it as a fiduciary responsibility. I owe it to the people coming behind me, uh, either mm-hmm. from African descent or people that joined the military or whatever, whatever my path might have crossed or whatever community I must have or whatever experience that I've shared along the way that I owe it to them to present what I've known uh, to be true. It might be my own truth or what I've known to have worked for me and see if other can actually gain uh, some experience and gain some advantage over there. And I mean, I believe that is that is my calling. Because oftentimes you realize, okay, all these experiences I'm going through, there has to be, there has to be for its particular reason, you know? Uh, and and yeah. for me, and I think it's for developing leaders uh, on the supply chain front and also on in any front actually is developing leaders. So for me, supply chain happens to be a channel at which I helped in developing leaders. So understanding the way I understand supply chain, understanding that people first. And I think that was one of my lessons I learned from some of my supervisors, that if you treat people first, if you treat people well and you treat people first, everything else is going to be secondary. And I think that in itself is one thing that we haven't done much in supply chain. We focus on, you know, the profit and loss that we less we have less focus on on the people. If we focus on people, I think everything else about supply chain, regardless of how difficult it is, it, it can be yeah. simplified. So that that's one of the things I believe that uh, my that's my next uh, my next phase of life after being you know gone through all this experience and I've you know exited that stage. My next stage is that how do I how do we bring how do we build capacity? by using some of my experiences and others around me to help the upcoming generation to be better than what we were, you know, because they can, you know, we are like software 2.0, they can be 3 or 4.0, you know, and they can yeah. build on what we've already uh, laid down there as the foundation. So that is why I'm pretty active on it, and I will continue to be until uh, I can't. 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit more because you launched a Rising Leadership Foundation and you're a member of the New American Economy. Tell us a bit about that. What do they do? Why are they so important? So the the Rising Leadership Foundation is uh, is a premise. So before I retired, I was looking. Okay, what am what is my purpose? You know, what am I here for? I've gone through all this. I'm retired. What is because there has to be. You know, there is a plan in action. I realized that. You know, uh, there's a lot where I came from. You know, I'm a product of a society. I'm a product of a community. You know, in Africa, and I came over here. Some people don't have that kind of opportunity. I am privileged, and and I cannot shy away from that. Some people don't have that opportunity. Some people don't have that uh, privilege that I have. So mine is to can to whom much is given, much is expected. So mine is to help others that are less privileged to get out of funk, whatever they are, to be able to. Uh, provide them opportunities as it may it may present itself, and to for them to better themselves. So we started this Rising Leadership Foundation, which is to bridge leadership and governance gap uh, in in Texas, in Texas, in the U.S., in African, in diaspora, in the U.S., and also in African communities uh, globally, and also in the continent of Africa. So those are our uh, areas, and then those are the areas I associate myself with, and those are the area I came from. Those are the areas. I came from and the communities I came from as well. And I believe a lot is not being done about leadership. Uh, you know, yeah. I love supply chain passionately, but more or less I drink and breed leadership as well because I, the, the the right and wrong, you know, failure and success is all leadership driven. So if we can build better leaders, we can actually have a better society and we can have, you know, I mean, of course that permutates over uh over the course across the line. So that is on the Rising Leadership Foundation. Actually, as, as of today, we, we started with five students uh, that are, came from abject poverty and orphans in uh, in in the country of Nigeria, using Nigeria as our, as our, as our pilot program. They've started the school program as of today. Today, they started the school program. They, we, we got them, we vetted them, and then we're getting them into a boarding program, boarding school program for them to go to school. They don't have anybody. They don't know anyone. They came from no place, but I believe they can actually achieve something in life. You know, imagine a society whereby you don't know no one and you can actually rise to become somebody special. And, and I think that's what we try to uh, propagate here. On the right Amazing. side. So on, on the new American economy, the American economy is uh, actually is a, is a, is a community of mayors and you know leaders in the U.S. Uh, actually, uh, my boom blog and uh, the man I owned uh, Fox, actually Randolph, uh, actually came together and is a bipartisan about is a bipartisan group to solve immigration related issues. So lending my voice, I'm very active in Texas over here about immigration. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very big on immigration. I came from it. And also, I believe a lot can be done uh, about immigrants in, in the United States. And a lot can be done about immigration policy. So I'm working on immigration reform. And from my perspective of what I see it and what I've experienced over the course of time, about helping others that are migrating to this country to be able to well to be well settled, and also how do we posture ourselves as a, as a country into how we how we migrate people, how people migrate from one location to the other, especially with H one B I mean H one B visa and all other visa categories that are coming 
uh, into the U.S. You know, what are the restrictions? Why are the restrictions? We have to look at the job market, the labor market as well. And also, he also has some ties with supply chain as well, where areas we are lacking. How can we better our areas by migrating quality people over there and also making life easier for them in the U.S.? There's one thing to migrate. There's one thing having this migration you know, stifling issues around the U.S. With this kind of visa, you can't do this, you can't do that. So it's a wide range of reforms that needs to be done. Also, when you migrate to the U.S., how can we get to integrate well so you can be part of the American process? So I'm very, like I said, these are, these are issues that are very near and dear to my heart. Amazing, amazing. And if the audience wanted to support you for Rising Leadership Foundation, what's the website? It's the risingleader.org. Perfect. All right. So if anybody wants to go and check that out and uh, throw in some support, go and check out that website. So what does the future hold for you? I mean, you're so active in the community, in the supply chain community. What does the future look like for you? So there's so many, there's so many woods in the, in the, in the furnace, as they say. Uh, so mine is to uh, build a consulting business that can cater to a lot of issues uh, but I'm more focused right now on risk management and geopolitical supply chain. I'm trying to coin that geopolitical supply chain because not too many people give that part of supply chain some love. And as we've seen over the last four years, our geopolitics plays a pivotal role in how we do supply chain globally. And since everyone and their mom has embraced uh, globalization and they've seen the nation- nationalism and globalization fighting on a day-to-day basis, uh, the role of geopolitics in how we do supply chain is very pivotal. So I'm very, I'm, I'm very passionate about that. So that's, I'm doing a lot of research uh, into that and hopefully a lot of solutions to come out there and more importantly, lessons learned. So that area and also risk management, I'm creating a lot of content in that area to kind of, uh, what I've experienced is as a consult uh, across the US, I realized that our risk management as far as supply chain is concerned, is not well, is not well grounded, is not well robust. So I'm bringing, being part, being a soldier before, and everything we do is all about risk management. So I'm bringing those concepts into supply chain, and I think it's going to be revolutionary in nature. You know, mixing the military aspect of uh, risk management into supply chain and kind of view it differently. Uh, and then um, there's a center for innovative leadership. And supply chain that we are creating is a nonprofit whereby people can come and research and talk about, uh, you know, local ways of handling supply chain. You know, because oftentimes, you know, people go to all these great schools, uh, Harvard, MIT, they come up with all this framework. Uh, to be honest with you, as, as I believe so, if you don't, if you go to all these schools, any school actually, any school you go to, if it's not basic science and, you know, and computers and electronics and engineering stuff, all those sciences, those are things that are quite universal. Everything else, it doesn't make sense because unless you apply to the what's going on in society. So if I let's say if I did an MBA here in the US and I take it to uh and I take it to Africa, whatever I learn in the US, I might as well jettison it as I enter Africa because that thing, none of that thing will work because it's a completely different atmosphere, completely different society. So what we're trying to do is to create solutions that are quite uh that are 
that fit into different geopolitical zones or, geo, or different geographical zones. Because we've always had this idea of supply chain has to fit this certain definition and certain framework from the Western partners' perspective. But the rest of the world doesn't share the framework we do. They don't have the robust infrastructure that we do. So why do we subject them to the same to same standard? Of course, if we subject them to the same standard, they're always going to fail. They're always going to fall below power. You know, so how do we make sure that, for example, we're able to deliver goods and services, uh, deliver packages in Afghanistan using a donkey, using a camel, you know, that will not be obtainable in America or in Canada, you know, but for them, it works well for them. At least the end state is get this parcel to this particular location. And they did, you know, so we need to start understanding these nuances and how we can actually improve supply chain globally by kind of regionalizing our solution in such a way and in such a manner that is effective to the, to the end user. So those are the things that kind of drives me and kind of keeps me up at night, burning midnight candles. And uh, that's yeah. what the future holds for me. And you know, I find myself in politics as well. Who knows? I love that. And I cannot wait to see all that you do. So one final thing, and I'm going to ask for one thing. What is one piece of advice that you would have for anyone looking to follow in your footsteps? Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Uh, and I believe we we are endowed with so many gifts and talents. And oftentimes the education, the community, the way we were raised, uh, we have been told that we are not good enough because we don't fit the mold. Obviously, if you ask a fish to climb the tree, the, the, of course the fish will never be able to do that. And oftentimes we find ourselves, one way or the other, at some point in our lifetime, we are like a fish trying to climb a tree. You know, and you just have to find, be true to yourself, know what has been deposited in you. Every one of us have some kind of light in us, and we just have to find that dark place where we can shine our light. And so for me, I believe everyone is uniquely made and gifted, and there's always so much we can offer this world if we find ourselves in the right place. So be true to yourself, find yourself that right place where you can flourish, and the rest will just be for itself. I love it. I think that I could talk to you all day long and not run out of questions. I mean, what a fascinating discussion. Um, You know, don't forget to connect with Adebayo uh, over on LinkedIn if you want to find out more about him. Um, Is there another website that they could uh, go to for you as well? Yes, adebayoadeleke.com. That is where I have my all my writings, all my positions and what I think, what is going on in my head what is ruminating in my head and also i have a podcast called unfettered podcast this is where i bring people it's not supply chain related so i bring people from different walks of life and we just discover their failures their successes and i supposed to be unfettered i mean you can say whatever you want to say and you can nobody's going to arrest you but it's also supposed to be thought-provoking and also probing some questions about what we know to be true challenging our truths and our belief and biases and prejudices as well so it's, all, it's called unfetteredpodcast.com. It's quite interesting. I bring people from different walks of life or people along my journey of life that I meet. Uh, so that's that's pretty much all about me. And of course, on LinkedIn, Adebayo Adeleke, you find me there. I come up with all kinds of crazy stuff that, I, that is ruminating in my head. And that's, uh, that's a good thing. Just be true to yourself. And I think everything else will follow suit. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Adebayo, for thank coming you, on the show today and sharing you, your story. You, you've been a blessing. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your platform. I know it's, like I said, I told like, my mama, I made it, man. I know it's very hard to get on your platform. And thank you for considering me worthy enough to be a participant and also to be a contributor to your uh, to your 
get to your line, to your podcast. I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Absolutely. I appreciate you too. Thanks, Adebayo. Thank you. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you would like to hear more from us, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and the brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. And don't forget to come back next week where I will be talking to Lauren from Conway. That's right. Conway is here and we are talking all about what they are bringing to the market. If you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now even TikTok. You can also subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com or on YouTube at the SC Supply Chain TV. Next, visit ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com and sign up. We are in full beta. And if you are a forwarder or an importer, an exporter that wants to streamline the pricing of your air freight and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you won't want to miss out on our platform. So head over to ships.com. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop over at letstalksupplychain.com. And don't forget to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. That's right. If you give us a review, I will feature you on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.